Well, we are carrying on in our series called Walk by the Spirit. And as I mentioned last Sunday, um, some, of the, some of these uh, messages I've started with a question that just arises. And this morning I want to uh, approach another one of these questions, hopefully quickly. I don't want to take too much time up with this. Um, but as we're going through this series, we're working from two main passages. Uh, we're working from Galatians 5, which are particularly the section that most people know as the fruit of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Um, but also from Colossians 3, we're holding these two passages together because they both have lists. They're both talking about the same thing. Actually, this morning we're going to look at Colossians 3. But this morning I want to deal firstly with a question that comes up just around the fruit of the question. And in some ways it might seem a bit of an academic question, a bit of an odd question, but I think it's a good one for us to think about. And the question is, are there many fruit of the Spirit or just one? Maybe you've never thought about this before, but I've put up This is an image I grabbed off some Sunday school sheet I found somewhere. And this is the sort of thing, though, we we give to our kids. And this is sort of where the question comes from, if you get me. Um, We use the word fruit to talk, there is fruit there, singular, or there is fruit there, plural, lots of fruit. Could be many different types of fruit. You see in this image, this is the classic thing you'll find in many a Sunday school, there is a tree or a bush with pineapples and pears and I don't even know if that's a tomato, actually, maybe, but strawberries and grapes, you know, all these sorts of fruit. And I don't know, does this confuse children? Because this tree does not exist, does it? But it's a great example of what we're actually talking about. It's because while there's all these different outworkings of the Holy Spirit in our lives, there is one source to them all. One tree, so to speak, as this image is trying to convey. Uh, And yet, for some kids, that might be a little confusing. And I think it's worth us thinking about this because while we look at this variety, I never want us to lose their unity that all of these things, these fruit, these outworkings have to be held together. And now I wouldn't say this to kids, but I will say it to you. In the Bible, in the New Testament, in the Greek, the original Greek, uh, the word for fruit is karpos. You can use that at lunch today. Ask if there's any fresh carpos around the place. Uh, And it means just that, fruit. When Jesus in the Gospels would go to a fig tree looking for some carpos, he was looking for figs, he was looking for the fruit. But the same word, carpos, is also translated as harvest. So again, when he went to the fig tree to look for the carpos, he was looking for its fruit, yes, but he was looking for its harvest, what it produced. And we use it in English this way, don't we? We do, just like the Greeks did with karpos. We talk about the fruit of our lives. And it's, we're not talking about just one thing. We're talking about sort of the, the sum fruit of our lives, what our life produces, what is the harvest of our lives. And this is why karpos can also be translated sometimes as deeds, the, the actions or the outworking of our lives. And I think this is good because when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, when we're talking about what the, the Holy Spirit produces in our lives, you, it's right to call it the fruit of the Spirit, but we could also call it the harvest of the Spirit. And, and I focus on this because when we talk about, I don't know, peace, or when we talk about patience, we, we should never hold on to those and let go of everything else. All right, if, if a Christian is like, I'm really good at patience, I don't know who that person is, but if they are really good at patience, that's great, 
But actually, that's not the wholeness, that's not the fullness you and I are called to. We're called to all of these things because all of the fruit of the Spirit describe Jesus. That's who they describe, and that is who we are called to reflect. So we're called to all of these things. And sometimes I think when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, I almost think about it like a ball. We might turn the ball around and look at one fruit on top. Um, maybe it's peace. But we never let go of the others. They're just there on, on the other side. And so often the fruit, these fruit of the Holy Spirit that, that come about in our lives, they overlap. There's a lot of overlap between um, kindness and goodness and love, isn't there? They all overlap. And they all describe Jesus. So I hope I haven't confused you. Uh, I hope you can hold these things together. I do actually think this image is good. I think we should carry on using this with kids, quite frankly. Um, Because, yes, there is a variety of outworkings in our life, but there is one source, and we do indeed have to hold them together. Well, today we are going to work from our passage in Colossians Three and it's verses 5 to 14. If you want to follow along, the words will be up here. But let me read them to you. Colossians 5, uh, sorry, 3 verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is God's word to us. And in verse 9 of Colossians 3, we are called to not lie to each other since we have taken off our old selves. A lying or deception or falsehood do not belong in our new lives in Jesus. They do not belong in the Christian life. Instead, we are called as God's children to be a people of truth, a people of honesty and sincerity, a people who live in reality. And I absolutely believe that truth is also a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not there in that list in Galatians 5, but I absolutely believe it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit as well. And uh, truth is not an optional extra to our lives. It's not an optional extra to the Christian life. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's something that we are all called to. But I think we face a challenge when we talk about truth that it can come across as quite impersonal or sort of mechanistic in some ways, uh, something that we just have to do. And one of my aims for this morning, overarching aims, I want to mention it here at the end, and maybe you can tell me whether it I landed it or not. But one of my aims this morning is to show that truth matters to God because it describes him. 
It is absolutely a part of who he is. So it's not impersonal. It's not mechanistic. It very much gets to the heart of who he is. In fact, uh, to truth is something that, that God delights in. And I think we know this. I think we know that truth matters, and I think we know that it is personal, partially because when someone uh, lies, and particularly lies about us, uh, boy, does it matter then. Uh, We know it, don't we? We feel it. We know how personal it is. We know how terrible it is. We know the injustice of it, and that anger starts to rise up within us. And look, while we live in a world that at times tries to tell us that that truth is relative or truth is flexible, that you have your truth and I've got my truth. Uh, Again and again, uh, it is proved in our lives that this is not, not actually true. That actually the reality is that truth does matter matters to us all. There was a survey uh, from last year, 2019, in the UK, which listed the least trusted professions, which is a way of saying uh, the honesty or questioning the honesty of these professions. Now, do you know which profession came in, I don't know whether to say top or bottom, but let's go bottom, bottom of the pile of least trusted professions. Can you guess? Oh, lawyers... <laughs> it's funny. I actually, I've got to say, I checked out. Pastors were not in the top 10, bottom 10, whatever. I was a little bit relieved to see that. No, politicians were actually at the bottom. Then journalists. And then in third place, car salesmen. Look, I don't, I don't think it's a good sign when politicians and journalists, you know, top this list, is it? Because our truth should matter to them. It should matter. Now, seemingly, a lot of people, at least in the UK, uh, think that it doesn't. And uh, that is a sad, sad place to live in. But the truth still matters to us. Yes, even in this world where we might find it harder and harder to believe people to accept that they're telling the truth. It still matters to us. And if we've ever known someone who's a bit free and easy with the truth... Uh, we will know this ourselves. Some years ago, I had a, a friend uh, who, who definitely told tall tales. He did, and I'm putting it nicely there, aren't I? But he was a friend, and he, he just had this habit again and again of, of twisting the truth or reducing things or bending things to suit himself. And hear me, he wasn't particularly malicious with this stuff or anything. I'm not saying he was particularly slandering or other people, but he told a lot of half-truths. And even just doing that half-truths, it made it really difficult to relate to him. It made it really difficult to have a relationship with him. And you know what? We, we his friends, um, from time to time, we called him out on this, you know? Uh, but he didn't change his ways, at least in the time I knew him. And our relationship just had its limits. Because whatever he said we held incredibly lightly. Like we we really just grasped it with a couple of fingers because we just always had this suspicion. Mate, we we just don't know if we can accept it. And you know, this was someone... I I liked, I had a really, really good sense of humor. I wanted to get along with him, but just couldn't. 
Our relationship was always limited. And have you had this experience? Maybe not quite that extreme. A lying and, and falsehood are personal. And truth-telling and, and living in reality, and I'm going to use that phrase from time to time, living in the truth are also deeply personal. They matter. And today, I want, to, I want to give us a bunch of points, but I want to give us two points about lying and the devil. It's an exciting place to start, isn't it? But there's a connection there. I want to give three points about God, uh, that he is the truth. Uh, the truth is central to who God is. It is central to what Jesus has done, and it is central to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And then lastly, I want to give three points uh, that the Holy Spirit calls us to. How we are to know the truth, how we are to do the truth, and how we are to be the truth. Know, do, and be. So, let's start with the devil, though, which is a fun place to start, isn't it? Uh, In John chapter 8, can I say, if you've never read John chapter 8, please read it. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Gospel of John. Uh, So much happens in it. But in this particular situation, um, later in the chapter, um, John is in the, uh, John, Jesus is in this um, conversation with some Jews, some fellow Jews who believe in him, we're told. That, That word is used. They believe in him. Really, they like him. They like what he's saying. They get along with him. And you know what? That's a bit like me liking the Otago Highlanders. I grew up in Otago, and I will absolutely watch them, uh, but I won't bet on them. And honestly, I'll watch them if it's convenient. I will. Uh, I'm not going to go out of my way. And that's a little bit like these Jews were with Jesus. Uh, they, They didn't really trust him. And they weren't really obeying him. And Jesus pushed them on this. Now, he wanted more in the relationship. He knew they needed more in the relationship. And he pushed them to believe him and to follow him, to carry on in his word. And he suggested that they weren't actually free, that they were actually slaves. And this really got their backs up at this. They're like, Jesus, we like you, but how dare you suggest that about us? Now, I want to suggest at this early point, someone was telling the truth here, and someone did not like hearing the truth in this particular situation. I'll let you work out who. Uh, But in John 8, verse 44, and I'm only going to give verse 44 and verse 47 here, Jesus says to them, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Then verse 47, whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. One of the ways to identify who we are is by identifying who we are listening to and who we obey. And Jesus here is blunt, isn't he? I mean, he's pushed these Jews a little bit and they push back quite a lot and so he just called it. If we think we are okay, if we think we are secure and free in our own strength, then 
we are fooling ourselves. And in fact, we're fooling ourselves and we're listening to the devil. We are listening to his lies and being deceived about ourselves. We are living as his children and not God's children. As Jesus says here, whoever belongs to God hears what God says. Which should get us thinking about who we are listening to in our lives. Who is telling us who we are? Who is telling us who we are? Because there are consequences. Because who we listen to is who we follow. And that's the first point here. The devil is the father of lies. He was back in the garden, wasn't he? Deceiving Adam and Eve, lying to them, telling them half-truths and leading them away from God. And we need to be careful who we are listening to and who is shaping our understanding and living. And can't we probably look at our own lives, but honestly, can't we look at this world and see people who are listening to lies and heading in terrible, terrible directions? We can, can't we? And I think we can do that without any arrogance or pride, but we, we do it with quite a lot of sadness, don't we? We do. Secondly, we see this lived out in our next passage. This is my next point. And it's a point about someone who is not careful about who they listen to. In Acts 5, there is the story of a couple, Ananias and Sapphira. Do you know it? Yeah, it's a fairly memorable uh, story, isn't it? But they are a part of the early church and they they sell some land and they bring uh, some money from the sale to the early church and, and lay it before the apostles' feet. But they present it, they present it as all the money from the sale of this land, which is to say they lie. They lie. Now, in some ways, it doesn't seem that big. You know, who is it hurting? What's well, going to hurt them is, is the answer. Acts 5 verse 3, then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? And that's important. They absolutely could have kept the money. That's, that's not the issue here. The issue is, but what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Oof, what a story. And, and we should feel the bluntness of the story. We should. God takes lying seriously. He really does. It doesn't have a place in his family. It has no place. And after this, Sapphira, Ananias' wife, would die as well. And yet this story is so human. We somehow think we can fool God or that God won't really care. It's just a small thing. But when we do this, we, we are listening to the devil. We are thinking God doesn't care. 
And the truth is, to use that word, he cares a lot. A whole lot. We, we forget, we are deceived into thinking we don't live primarily before God. Because that was Peter's point here, wasn't it? You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. It's not, not so much about lying to us. You've forgotten God. You've made him this big and instead been focusing on us and you've gotten it completely back to front, Ananias. And how sad this is. And that's, that's my second point here. Living in the truth is living in God and before God. A God who takes lying seriously. It's one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? Yeah, and for good reason. So our first two points. Our listening leads to our living. Who are we listening to? Sorry, who we are listening to will lead to who we are following. So we need to be careful about who we're listening to because the truth matters. There is a destination. We will follow them somewhere. Secondly, living in the truth is living in God and before God. It is living conscious of him, aware of him. He is the one we are living before. Everyone else actually really doesn't matter that much. And we should put him first in our lives, first on the throne of our lives. Well, let's come to the three points about God. And I hope these are readable. Sometimes I confess I make these slides and they look great on my laptop and then I see them up there and I go, it's completely unreadable. That's not too bad, is it? Is that readable? So maybe, maybe not. Look, the truth is central to who God is. It is central to who God is. It is central to what Jesus has done and it is central to what the Holy Spirit does in our lives here. And I want to be fairly quick. And I don't know if this is where you would turn thinking about God and the truth, but Psalm 51 verse 4. King David has been caught out. He has committed adultery with Bathsheba. He has murdered her husband Uriah. He's lied to a whole bunch of people. And God confronts King David about this. And David repents. And Psalm 51 is his prayer of repentance. And in Psalm 51, there's a really, well, there's lots of striking lines, but verse 4 is particularly striking. It says, so this is David speaking to God, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Now you might think, this doesn't even have the word truth in it, Mike. How does this relate to God being true? How does it relate to God, truth being central to who God is? Well, in this terrible situation where David has done terrible, terrible things, he makes the statement, and he's right. He is not diminishing Bathsheba and what he has done to her. He is not diminishing Uriah and the fact that he has murdered him. He is not diminishing the fact that David has misled the nation, the people that he is responsible to, what he's recognizing is that first and foremost, he has sinned against God. God is the one who sets the standard. What God says goes. That is the way it is 
God is the truth. If Bathsheba or Uriah was the truth, David could do whatever he liked. Because David would have as much say about, well, no, this is right. This is my truth, so I can do this. You say it's wrong, but I say it's right. But that's not the way it is. David is recognizing, no, God, you are true. What you say goes. And so the fact that I have done these things against Bathsheba and Uriah and indeed against the nation are terrible because they are terrible against you. You are the truth, God. And so in relation to you, I am wrong. And so that makes everything I've done here wrong. David is recognizing that God is true, and that puts him in a terrible situation, doesn't it? Now, the wonderful thing about this is this is a psalm. It is a prayer. It is a song of repentance to God. David had done some terrible, terrible things, but he did cry out to God. And while there were consequences to his actions, as we've known consequences in our own lives for some of the things we've done, uh, God did forgive him, didn't he? He did. And this really brings us to Jesus, that the truth is central to what Jesus has done for us. In John 14, one of Jesus' disciples, Thomas, asks where he is going. Jesus is starting to talk about leaving them, not specifically about going to the cross, but leaving them. And Thomas is like, where are you going? How do we follow you? And Jesus responds to Thomas saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is one of Jesus' great I am sayings in John. And out of the three that he gives here, way, truth, and life, we probably struggle the most with truth. Uh, we get that Jesus is the way to the Father. I think, I think we sort of get that. We've got to go through him. It's like he's the gate. We've got to go through him. I think we sort of get that Jesus is the life that he has given his life so that we can have life with God. That is the way to God, through him. But how is he the truth for us? And this is where our previous points come in. When Jesus says that he is the truth, he means he is the fullness of God. He is truly God. In essence, Jesus is the same as God. What God says, Jesus says. What God would have him do, Jesus does. And Jesus is the truth for us. He is. You know, when the devil comes and accuses us of our sin and wrongdoing before God, when the devil can point out in my life, Mike, what about that? That thing you said, that thing you have done. The devil doesn't actually have to lie about that, unfortunately. <laughs> it's terrible, and I know it but I turn to a greater truth. Because the thing is, the devil is telling a half-truth then. Oh, that, that thing is true, but it's not the full truth. Because the truth of God, the truth of Jesus, is that he, he has died for me. And that is a greater truth. It is the truth of God for me. He has given himself When we feel shame and regret as Christians, what do we do? We look 
to the truth. We look to Jesus. When we feel guilt for our failings, which we all do, we all should do, in those times we cling to Jesus, the truth, God's truth for us. Yes, the truth is central to God. It is central to Jesus and what he has done for us. And what a marvelous truth it is. That's about as personal as it gets, isn't it? Him giving his life for me, for you. I mean, that's personal, isn't it? Yes, he does not look down on us. He does not condemn us. Oh no, he knows everything about us. Every terrible thing about us and still loves us. Praise God for that truth. And But thirdly, the truth is central to the role of the Holy Spirit. John 14 verse 16, and this is Jesus speaking just a little later in that same chapter, saying, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Yeah. And this is perhaps not the name we use very often for the Holy Spirit, but it is important, uh, an important one, because the Holy Spirit is true and has the role of growing us in the truth, growing us in God. Now, the Holy Spirit is also the spirit of truth in this world, opening people's eyes to the reality, to the truth of God. But here Jesus is talking about the Spirit's role in the church, in our lives. The Holy Spirit has a role in bringing us and helping us grow into the reality of God, grow in holiness, to grow in truth. And this means the Holy Spirit is going to shine light on things in our lives that don't belong. We commonly call that conviction, don't we? The Holy Spirit's going to do that. Not to stop there, but so we will grow into the people of God, will call us forward to what we're meant to be. And I love this. I love the fact that we see here that the truth is central to God, central to what Jesus has done for us, and central to what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. All of the Trinity is involved, working together in our lives. Is this painful at times? Yes. It definitely is. Let's just acknowledge that. And it will be. And in some ways, that's sort of a good sign. Things are coming into the light. But God never wants us to stop there. Yes, he will bring things into the light, but so we can move towards healing as well. Well, look. Maybe that side's not that much better. But this is where we're going to end because we are called to know something, to do something, and to be something. Know, do, and be. So in Colossians 3 verse 10, which is a passage we read at the start, uh, and I know I'm getting these, I'm reordering these slightly. I'm going Colossians 3.10, 3.9, and then 3.11. You'll understand why in a moment. In Colossians 10, we're called to uh, put off the, put on the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Our new self, our new identity as a child of God is something we are given by Jesus. It's completely a gift from him, his righteousness. Hey, you're a child of God. But it is also something that has been created in us. We are being renewed. We are being transformed in our lives right now. And this is something the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, is doing in us. But the way it does this, 
not the only way, but I would say the primary way is by us knowing who God is, knowing our creator. Because when we know God, when we truly know God, this is God, then we understand who we are meant to be. God does not lie. So I don't lie. God is gracious, gracious to to the wicked and to the unthankful. So do you know what? I'm meant to be gracious to the wicked and the unthankful. And the way we do this, the main way we do this, is by getting to know Jesus. It is. Colossians 1 verse 15, so a little earlier in the same letter, Paul describes Jesus as the image of the invisible God. Do we, when we want to know who we are growing into be, who the Holy Spirit is transforming us into be, we look to Jesus and we see who God is. We do. The more and more we get to know Jesus, the more and more we will know who God is and who we are meant to be. And look, the Holy Spirit will do this in our lives pointing his finger on things that do not belong, but also pointing us to Jesus again and again. This is who you are meant to be. This is who you are called to. And brothers and sisters, we should be a people who are hungry to know God because in doing so, we know our creator, we know our heavenly father, but we also know who we are meant to be. You know, again, uh, to pick on David, because I pointed out a few of his flaws this morning, but he got some things right. Well, in one of the Psalms, he says, this is Psalm 42, you'll probably know it. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? David was described as someone who had a heart for God. Tell you what, He does not have half the resources you and I do, which is sort of challenging, isn't it? I've written a lot less psalms than David. (laughs) I I think that was more his thing to do, though. I think I'm called to other things, as probably most of us. But we are called primarily to know God, to know Jesus. The Holy Spirit is going to do this in us, pointing us again and again to him. This is who he is. This is who you are. The Holy Spirit does not care one iota what this world is telling us. Not one iota, except that it may be wrong. (laughs) It's going to point us again and again to Jesus. Secondly, we have something to do. Colossians 3 verse 9. So because we know who our creator is, Paul tells us, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Now, this is sort of easy. Don't lie to each other. I mean, that's what it is at face value. But it's a bit more than that, isn't it? It's saying, don't be deceitful. Don't tell half-truths. Know who your father is. Don't listen to the devil. Don't follow the devil. Don't be Ananias and Sapphira. Know who you lived before. And you know what? This starts here. If there is one place we should know who we lived before, that we lived before God, It should be here. And then it will probably be in our homes, in our families. And then it should hopefully be out in our workplaces as well, that we live before God. And this means that we will be true. We will be true with what we say and how we say it. 
You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He called us to a clarity that what you say is what you mean. And people shouldn't even have to ask for a promise from you. They should just know that when Evan says yes, Evan means yes. And when Barbara says no, Barbara means no. That you are so absolutely and utterly true. And in that way, we reflect our Heavenly Father. But this also overflows into our actions as well, that we will be true to others. And this is where I want to end today. Colossians 3 verse 11. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Let me ask you, is God the creator of all people? Okay, you weren't entirely loud with that. Is Jesus the only savior for all people? Is the Holy Spirit given to all people? It doesn't matter who they are, just is given to all people. Yeah. And this means that there should be a unity in Christ and the Holy Spirit that is greater than the differences amongst us. Look, we will have, we will have differences about, I'm not sure about that belief you have about God. We will have those differences. But there should be a unity in Christ that despite the largeness of the differences amongst us, he is greater. He is a greater truth. And oh, how our world needs that at this time. We are aware. We can look to the U.S. and we can see the conflict that is going on there about race. Look, we can look to our own backyard and we can see the same thing as well. We can but we as God's people, as the people who know him, are we living out a unity that is greater? Are we being true to him and then true to this world? Are we truly reflecting him and making him known in the way we treat each other? Because this is where we should be most conscious of who we live before. But actually, in the other 167 hours out in this week as well, because this is only one here, are we true? Are we being true? Let's pray together. Jesus, I rejoice that despite the fact that you know every single thing about us, the things that we would tell no one else, the things we would prefer not to believe, that you still love us and that you care for us. And, oh, Lord, you call us to be true as well. I pray, I pray that by your Spirit, you would convict us of the things that need to change, the things that do not belong or reflect you, and that you would call us forward as your people to be true to you and to make you truly known starting with our words, but overflowing to our actions. And may this truth, the truth of who you are, your greatness and goodness, so be amongst us, so be a reality here in St. Andrews, here in Central Hawke's Bay, that people would look at us and question what is different about us, about why we love and care for each other so much. And we would get to say, 
because of the truth we know about the one who loves and cares for us all, whoever we are and whatever we've done. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.